Romans chapter 5, on the other side of your announcements or notes, why don't you put at the title today, Justification by Faith. Now, don't be afraid of this big term, justification. I'm going to explain it to you. But I want you to write the title on your paper today, and then the text is Romans chapter 5, and we're going to go through the entire chapter of Romans 5 today. And I believe that you're going to be so encouraged and blessed by this because God spoke through this passage about 500 excuse me, 500 years ago, to Martin Luther to teach us not to be Catholics anymore. How many are glad that you're not Catholic anymore? How many are glad that you don't have to come up here and be spoon-fed your communion? Amen? Praise the Lord. How many know you don't need the patron saint of lost keys to find your keys anymore? Amen? Even though sometimes you lose them, you just ask the Lord. He'll help you find them. Praise the Lord. Come on, I want to tell you that not only is Catholicism wrong in the sense that it's a system that's corrupt from the Bible, but it actually takes away salvation. Now, can somebody be Catholic and be saved? That's a big question, you know. Do they believe in Jesus? Are they born again? I believe they could be, but that's not for all Roman Catholics because Roman Catholicism doesn't teach being born again. What it teaches is the sacramental order. That means from the time you're a baby to the time you die, you have to perform the Catholic sacraments, which is baby baptism, then your confirmation and communion, and then, you know, being confirmed and then being married in the church, and then living your life as a good Catholic, and then being buried by the Catholic Church, and all of this determines your salvation. Okay, not only is that wrong, but let me tell you something. It can also damn your soul to hell because there's one thing that they forget to tell you that is very important. Your good works don't get you to heaven. I want you to hear that today. I love Roman Catholics. My family came from Roman Catholicism. That's how my mom and dad both got saved. And my uncles and aunts are still of that persuasion today. And listen, I'm not being mean. I'm talking about my own family. But this is not a personal thing. So we're not talking about Aunt Mima, you know, Grandpa Joe here. What we're talking about is a system of beliefs. And the bottom line is the Roman Catholic belief says for you to go to heaven, do all of these things. That's what it says. You can read it in their uh, councils. You can read it in the different doctrines that the Pope has taught. You can read it in their writings. If you don't believe me, email me. Or if you just want to have the quotes and all of the catechisms, I'll send them to you. You can read in the catechisms yourself that they have to do this to inherit the kingdom of God. And guess what? If you don't, there's a place that you can go just in between heaven and hell. And what's that place called? Purgatory. Well, how convenient, right? Because not everybody's good Catholic. Matter of fact, when we go out to Mardi Gras, that's a byproduct of Catholicism because right before Mardi Gras, guess what they have? They have a time of partying and all of that because on Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, then your 40 days of Lent start. So what does the Catholic Church basically say? On Tuesday, have a big party, eat all your meat, eat all your eggs, do all the things you can't do normally, and then ask God for forgiveness and then give up something and you'll be okay. That's the teaching of Roman Catholicism, and that's what Mardi Gras came from because the French settlers were Catholic, okay? And if you want to know what the voodoo comes from, and like in Haiti, it's the mixing of Catholicism and ancient pagan religions is what you get Santeria, and what's big in Haiti is them mixing the saints with Catholicism because it's so similar to idol worship with their native paganism, okay? That's where you get the voodoo of New Orleans, and also in Haiti, those were French settlements with the African-American slaves who were bringing in their tribal 
Bible religion and then being converted to Catholicism. They mix the two together. I think some people who have celebrated Day of the Dead in Mexico would know a little bit about Catholicism mixing with the pagan things of the Latin Americans. Are you with me? A lot of history right here. In Romans chapter 5, however, Martin Luther is growing up as a good Catholic boy. Martin Luther then becomes a monk. He then becomes a scholar in the Catholic religion. And guess what he begins to discover? As he reads the Bible, which, by the way, was illegal to read if you were a common folk. See, all of us here, we're all common folk. I'm still getting my master's degree. Now listen, they spoke German in that day. That's what everybody spoke. But guess what language the Bible was written in? Latin. Guess what language they spoke in the church service? Latin, okay? And that's what they did to, it, to veil and hide the truth and make it so high and secret before you can know the thing. So here's Martin Luther. He's a German, but he's a monk, and he reads Latin and Greek, and he reads in the Bible, and guess what he finds out? He finds out uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! Martin Luther, the light bulb turns on, and we know this is God speaking to him in the 1500s. Light bulb turns on, and guess what? He says, I'm not at peace with God. He says, I have to do all these good works every day to be at peace with God. As a matter of fact, some of the priests would, would not flagellants as in passing gas, but they would flagellate themselves, which means to afflict themselves with pain. Some of the priests, because they would face temptation, they would whip themselves. These poor old boys, some of them would hold their hands over candles if they felt lust. I looked at one guy, he was missing his whole hand. I felt sorry for him. I'm like, dude, you've been dealing with some lust, huh? You lost your whole hand. But in their mind, the idea was, I have to do this for God to love me. I have to do this for God to love me. That's what good work says. If you do this, God will love you. If you don't do this, then God doesn't love you. But my friends, that's not the story of the Bible. And you're going to hear it all today, and I'm going to skip ahead right now and tell you. The Bible actually says that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Come on, while you were still a sinner, Jesus already loved you. So it's not like he loves you any more or less. Somebody say justification. Now, let me teach you what that word means. Justification, justified. Now, look right here. When it's in this tense, it's so easy to remember. Just if I'd never sinned. Think of the word justified means this. Just if I'd never sinned. I'm going to say that again. What does the word justified mean? It means just if I'd never sinned. Can we say on the count of three? One, two, three. Just if I'd never sinned. So look at what it's saying. Therefore, I am just if I'd never sinned by faith. By the catechism? No. By infant baptism? By whipping myself? No. By going to a priest and receiving forgiveness? No. But how about this? By worshiping at Metro Praise? By coming to prayer meetings? No. You see, all of these good works, and we do believe there's good works, okay, we do believe that Catholicism, if you study church history, had a lot of good motives. You know, let's pray. Okay, that was their idea with lighting candles, helps you to pray. Rosary beads, keeps you focused. All of these things might have had a good, a good start. You know, well, if Peter's in heaven, that means he's closer to heaven than I am. And if I would ask you for a favor, if you were closer to a neighbor and I needed it, well, why not just ask Peter to ask Jesus? You know, it had rational thought. They weren't saying let's become idol worshipers, but they missed the point. 
Because, my friends, good works is not how we're saved. By faith. Now let me tell you what faith means. Somebody say faith. I don't have anything cute for faith, okay? But faith just means this, trusting in God. That's pretty nice, right? Trusting in God. You can remember that. Faith is trusting in God. Therefore, being justified, never sinned by trusting in God, I now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So today, how many will admit that you have sinned? How many will admit that you need forgiveness? Okay? How do you get it? By doing good works? No. Do you get it by, like, like looking at yourself kind of like a dirty car? And, like, the more you scrub the car, the more it gets clean. So you started off maybe like a year ago in this church, and you were just nasty. And since you've been coming to church, you're about like a quarter clean. And then, like, two years from now, you'll be like halfway clean. Is that how it works? No, you come to Christ dirty, rotten, filthy, all of us the same as sinners. He baptizes us in the Spirit, washes us in His blood, and now, boom, white as snow. That's born again. Born again. Somebody say born again. Come on, so today, the first point that you have to learn, starting in verse 1, is that all of your forgiveness, justified, never sin. The sin is from the east to the west. All of that comes by trusting in God. And how does it come to us by trusting in God? What's the significant thing we're trusting in? Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Master, our Yahweh, our God. We are trusting Him that when He was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day, that was for our sins. So I want you to think of it like this. Some of you have been on the computer before, and you've been working on something, and you've lost all the information, and it got erased. Anybody ever have that happen to them? Especially students. We've all had that happen, maybe some of you here at your job. You know how lost that computer program is? It's gone. I mean, you can never get it back. That information is gone. It doesn't exist anymore. That's what happens to your sins when you put faith in Jesus. It's just if I'd never sinned. Just like when you start that Word document and that Microsoft Word document is is white, there's no writing on it, it's all gone. So just imagine, let's say you listed all of your sins on that Word document and then you didn't save it. Where do those things go? They're gone. All the sins, you know, adultery, fornication, anger, lying, okay, there it all is. And then when you don't save it and you set it down, no, no, auto recovery, let's just say it's over, where does it go? It's disappeared. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. Now, the Bible says that's what your heart was like. It was like sin was all in your life. All of these things possessed your mind. You could only sin. You were born into sin. You weren't a sinner because you had sinned. You sinned because you were a sinner. I'm going to say that again. It wasn't like you woke up one day, I'm a good person. Oh, now I sin. Now I'm not. No, you woke up with evil tendencies. And then you sin because of those evil tendencies. How many times do we have to tell Bethany, don't do this, don't do that? And is anybody teaching her to be evil? Is anybody teaching her to be disobedient? From the days of the youth, the Bible says, the heart is evil and utterly deceitful, even deceiving you, the Bible says. Come on, somebody. And then what happens? Here we go. Jesus Christ comes to us, dies on the cross for our sins, and therefore, if I have faith in him, I'm justified, never sinned. By trusting in him, I'm justified, never sinned. That is for you today, and you have peace with God. 
So now moving past this idea of seven sacraments and, and uh, you know, not eating meat on Friday and all of these things. No, you move on to the next verse. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what do I do now? I rejoice in God. Why? Because I'm standing in faith. I'm not going to stand in faith. You're not going to stand in faith. The day you heard the word of God, because the Bible also says further in Romans that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Everybody say the word of God. So how did you get faith? You heard the word of God, right? And then you said, I believe the word of God. Hey, somebody tells you, Jesus died for you. Jesus took away your sins. If you say, I believe that, and you say, I I trust in God, I confess my sins, you're saved, you're in faith. Well, from that moment forward, you know what you get to do? You get to stand in the presence of God and get to rejoice in the hope to come. Isn't that awesome? Today, you're standing in that faith. Now, somebody might say, well, Pastor, what if I stop having faith? And that's the lesson we talked about before, fighting the fight of faith, not giving up that faith. That faith has to be precious to you because just as you willed and desired to believe in God, you could say, no, I don't want that anymore. But that's your choice. That's not God turning his back on you. Do you see the difference? Sometimes people say, well, God left me. God turned his back on me. No, there may be times where emotionally you don't feel God. Maybe there's a service that one day it's like a 10. It's like, ding, 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 we rung the bell of heaven. It's like heaven is here. And maybe there's another service where it's not like that. Well, God hasn't left. That's just a season of your life, amen? Not every day is 100-degree weather in Chicago. And not every day is 30 degrees with a blizzard. There are different seasons. There's different times and seasons of a day. And the Bible says, that's with your life. There's different times and seasons in your life. Sometimes you feel it's night. You don't see the sun. Sometimes you're just basking in the sun. Don't get any better than this. Other times it's rainy. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? But here's one thing that never changes. You're standing in faith. You're hoping in the glory of God that God's got it under control and that as he saved you, he'll keep you safe. And one day you'll see him face to face and have heaven as an eternal reward. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now look at verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations as well, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not the heart, maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So what does it say? You're hoping for heaven. You know the faith has justified you. You know your faith is giving you a place to stand. Well, guess what? You can hope in your times of tribulation. So why is this message important for you today? Because you need to know you're saved by faith. You need to know you're standing in faith. And you need to know that you need to keep faith in the times of tribulation. Because if you keep that faith, your experience, your patience, your hope will all grow. Have you ever been through a trial and a test and you just felt like, oh, it's the end of the world. And then when it was over, you saw that you changed. Has anybody ever been there? Come on. 
I remember my pastor telling me, he said, Joe, sometimes you feel like this man pushing a rock because God told you to push the rock. He said this man was pushing this rock, and he was getting tired, and he was huffing and puffing, and the rock wasn't moving. And he said to God, what am I supposed to do? The rock's not moving. God said, keep pushing the rock. Keep pushing the rock. He keeps pushing the rock. Rock's not moving. He's breathing heavy and hard. After a while, Jesus says, you can stop pushing the rock. Now go over here and climb the mountain. And then Jesus is, is just going on like nothing happened. The man says to Jesus, hold on. What about this rock? Well, you know, nothing changed here. Nothing moved. He said, you changed. You see, some situations in life may never change. You just feel like you're pushing a rock, but you know what? You're changing. And then when God says that season's up, he'll just move you on to the next thing. I wish I could fix all the problems of the world. I wish I could tell you right now, you have faith. You'll fix every problem of the world, boys and girls. You want to do it? Come on. I wish I could tell you that, but some things, it's just going to be facing a rock. And God is going to tell you, have faith. Have faith. And then you know what? He's going to say, let's move on. Let's go to the next thing. Somebody might say, well, man, God said... By my faith, I could then throw the rock into the sea. That's all right. Throw it into the sea. But some of us have tried that and haven't gone to the sea yet. Amen. How many know you've tried to throw some rocks into the sea and they don't move? And you're saying, well, is my faith getting my faith weak? No. Some things in life, God just says, you've got to change. How many know when those guys were being whipped and beaten, they wanted to throw that rock into the ocean? God, I command persecution to stop right now. It didn't stop, did it? Some might say, well, sometimes they were let out of the prison cell, but other times they died crucified upside down. See, if you endure through these times, if you're patient in these times, hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Are we reading this in the King James today? Okay, let's put that in the NIV. I'm like getting some these and nows up in there. Praise the Lord. Good thing for a pastor who could recognize that. Everyone look up here. You see, my friends, if you hope, you won't be disappointed. You know, I, I've been heartbroken. How many have ever hoped in something you were disappointed didn't come to pass? I could tell you story after story about that, especially as a pastor. You know, people come to me, man, they're, they're just going to build the church. They're going to give to the church, and then two weeks later, they're gone, you know. And I learned that early on, man, you, you can't trust in man like that. You know, I can only trust in God to build this church. And I've also, you know, had people promise me things. Man, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. And they haven't done it for me. You know, I've had people promise all types of things in my life. And you know what God began to teach me? He began to say, you know what, don't look to them, just look to me. And I want you to think about this today. People may let you down. I may let you down. But the hope that you put in God will never disappoint you. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Everybody go, love. You see, I want you to look at these and underline them as I go through them and see what's going on inside your life. Start at verse 3. Because we rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. You see, when I suffer, what will come out of that if I don't give up? Perseverance. That means you'll get stronger, like working out your muscles. You could do more. Perseverance, character. You see, now what's the next thing? You're starting to change your attitude. At first, you're all grumbly. Oh, man, this trial stinks. Man, I can't get out of this. My life won't change. But you start persevering. 
You start persevering. You like come to the gym. You try 300 pounds. You can't do it. But pretty soon you start doing 200 pounds, 250, and then you get that attitude. I can do this. Boom. Then you do the 300. You know, you're going through your trial. I don't know if I can do this. You start persevering, and then your character starts to change. Starts saying, yeah, I can do this. I will smile. I will look up. I will not keep my head down. I'll trust in God. I'm more than a conqueror. Come on, somebody. It says that your uh, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character. What comes out of that character? Hope. And that hope, the Bible says, does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given unto us. And I love it how the old preacher said, he didn't bring me out this far to let me drown now. Think about it, my friends. Sometimes you feel like you're swimming across the English Channel, and you're halfway there, and you're looking back, and you're like, man, that's too far to go back. It's too hard to go back. And then you're looking forward, and you're like, it's too crazy to go forward. And then you just go, help, and you just want to drown. I've been there before. Sometimes you just get so stuck out there, and you're just like, God, what am I going to do? You know what God says? He says to you at that time, I love you. I won't forsake you. Just trust in me. And then you just do your little doggy paddle. Little doggy paddle, kind of lean back and do that little backstroke, float a little bit. Why? Because God's saying, you're not going to change this. I've got it under control. And that's the faith that we're talking about. So as you see, it starts with the faith of your salvation. And my friends, sometimes I think it's easier for us to believe God is saving us from hell and destroying the devil and bringing us to heaven as it is for us to believe that God can pay our bills. Sometimes we're like, you know, God will take care of it. Oh, yeah, I know God will take care of it, but I, I still don't know. Hold on. Do you believe you're going to heaven? Yeah, I believe I'm going to heaven. Do you believe that the devil's going to be? Yeah. Do you believe God created you? Yeah. But you don't believe God can pay your bills? It's like, come on. The same God who did all of this can do this. The big things are not harder than the small things, and the small things are not harder than the the big things. In God's economy, God has limitless resources, my friends. And so here's the trust that you need to have. If you're living for God, if you're living by faith, if you're persevering, if your character is right, guess what? If If things are not going right now, they will be. Just hang on. That's it. Don't change anything. Sometimes you say, well, I must be doing something wrong. I'm tithing, and it's not changing. No, keep tithing. Persevere. Keep the character. Keep the hope. Somebody's like, well, I'm still sick. You know, I'm praying. Keep praying, my friend. Don't give up, because if you're doing what's right, God's got your back. You never will be disappointed. Hallelujah. And you're getting a new body anyway. Amen? Come on. It's all right. You will make it. Keep going. Hallelujah. Verse 6. Help us, Lord. I'm going to do a little Super Bowl sermon today. Three hours plus half time, half hour. About three and a half hours. We're good. Amen? Woo! You see, at just the right time. Here we go. Here's what I was talking about before. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Come on, somebody say, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, do you get the understanding here? We were powerless. You no more could save yourself than you could save yourself jumping off of a cliff by grabbing onto air. If I said right now, jump off the Grand Canyon, and the only resource that you have to save yourself is the air, You're going to fall. You're powerless. You're grabbing onto air, falling, and it will not help you. 
That's what the Bible says. All of your good deeds in Isaiah, in God's mind, are filthy rags. What that young man just put in the toilet right there is what God said all of our good works were. Come on. There it is. Whatever he put down there, whatever, whatever rag he used, if he went number two, then it's a filthy, filthy rag. If he just dried off his hands, it's still a filthy rag because you don't want it. Amen? And the bottom line is this. You can't save yourself. So what do we do? We trust in this. Oh, when I was powerless, he died for me. Before I was ever a pastor, before I could ever pray, before I could ever do one good thing, Christ died for me when I was ungodly. And then he gives the example. Yes, you'll see somebody die for a good person. Maybe you'll see somebody take another person's spot. But who would say here, I'll take Jeffrey Dahmer's spot. Yeah, I'll die for Hitler. Yeah, I'll die for that gangbanger that shot my child. No, that's absurd. We don't think that way. But Christ said, you are sinners, but I'll die for you. That's how great his love is. The love in the Bible is agape love in the Greek, which means unconditional, massive, weighty, extraordinary love. It's something that if you try to measure, it's immeasurable. And see, today, my friends, the the point that Romans is building here, it's going to keep going for a few more verses. What it's saying is God loves you this much, and it's all about your faith in Him. It's just trust in Him. Trusting him for, I'm trusting him, Pastor, that my sins are just as, just as if I'd never sinned. Yeah, you're going to trust him for that. Pastor, I'm trusting him to stand today. Yes. Pastor, I'm trusting God that I can go through my trials and tests. Amen. Keep trusting. And, Pastor, I'm trusting him that he loves me no matter what happens in my life. Sometimes we feel as Christians that when we sin, it's like, oh, my gosh, we blew it. It's like God can't love me. I should have known better. You know, I remember that when I was moving from one church to another here in Chicago and I was on a three-month sabbatical and, and I didn't, you know, sin in the sense of like, you know, sleeping with somebody or stealing, but I had just allowed a little anger to get into my heart. I allowed some bitterness. Anybody ever let that happen before? Am I alone? No, I'm not. Okay, come on. A little, little anger, a little bitterness, a little gossip, and then I recognized I sinned. And God convicted me. And I was, you know, quick to repent. Lord, forgive me. But then guess what the devil did? Came right next to me and said, oh, you can't be a pastor now. Look at you. You've, you've sinned. Look how filthy you are. You were angry. You were bitter. And I was all by myself because I didn't work at that job anymore. I didn't leave the right way. I didn't give my two-week notice, okay? I did it wrong. And now the devil's saying, look at you. You're never going to pastor again. You're not not going to do it. And you know what God had to tell me to do, my friends? This was a revelation to me. And I've told it before, but it's good to repeat. God told me, Joe, go back out there and witness to the people on the streets. You know, because I've been to ten Mardi Gras, ten crazy, throw them up, tell me. I've seen it all, man. And I've witnessed to people and seen them get saved in the most disgust. I've seen strippers get saved. I've seen them all get saved. And God says, go back out to the streets. And I start going back out to the streets. I'm telling a homeless man he can get saved. I'm preaching the gospel. And then Jesus says, you know what? Just like I forgive homeless people's sins, I forgive pastor sins. And sometimes you need to be reminded of that, that God already demonstrated his love for you. You don't need to doubt in your heart, am I saved? Does God really love me? I feel like I've blown it this time. No, God really does love you. God loved you before you could ever pray a prayer. So if you skip a day of prayer, don't you think he still loves you? God loved you before you ever could go to church when you were just high on drugs. God loved you then. Don't you think he loves you now? 
Come on, he's still, even if you fall asleep in church, you used to be sleeping all the way till 2 in the afternoon, some of you. Come on, God still forgives. Why? Because the Bible says he demonstrated it, that when we were sinners, he died for us. Now, he's going to reiterate the point. Look at verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, somebody say, we were God's enemies. Now, you see, when I've said that before in church, people are like, does that say it in the Bible? Yes, it does. For we were God's enemies. The nature of his wrath was against us. That's what it means to be an enemy. Somebody don't like you. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only in this But also we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we now have received reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. Now you learn the word justified, which means justified, never sinned. The word faith means trusting in God. And now the word reconciliation means to be brought back with the one that had an accusation against you. Or basically say it like this, made up. Everybody say we're made up. Have you ever had an issue between your children, maybe some friends, and you had to help reconcile the issue? You had to call up the cousin and say, hey, we need to sit down and talk here. we got to get you all together. Reconciliation is when one person said, I don't want to be your friend. I'm not hanging out with you. And the other one is saying, I don't want to hang out with you either. And then somebody comes between them as a mediator and says, I'll bring them together. Now, the father was justified. The father was justified in his wrath towards us. The father said, they've sinned, and I will judge them, and I will punish them, and I will treat them as my enemy. And then we said, God, we don't want to follow your commands. God, your commands are burdensome. We want to worship idols made out of trees, wood, hay, and stubble, all of these things that you see the history of mankind turning its back on God. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus came as a mediator, and he said, Father, all the punishment and all the anger and all the wrath you have against them, put it on me. I'll be the sacrifice. And then he said to them, all of your sins, all of the things you've done wrong, and all the excuses you've made to not live right, come to me, and I'll give you forgiveness, and I'll give you my righteousness so you can live right. Come on, somebody. He gives you the keys to his Lexus and says, drive that. Take that for a test spin. You're on your little big wheel of life trying to make it happen, trying to big wheel yourself up to heaven, trying to big wheel yourself through a marriage. I'm just so big. But God just looks at you like a little big wheel. And then he says to you, hey, here's the keys to the Hummer. Take that for a test spin. Why don't you learn how to have an attitude like me? Learn how to talk like me. But I can't, Lord. I'll help you. I'll give you my righteousness. That's what it means. Reconciliation means that he brought the Father, God, and lost mankind together. As Timothy says, there's one God and one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. Get excited and say amen. Come on, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin, for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. Simply said, we're all sinners. That passage of Scripture is saying this. Just as Adam sinned and we all became sinners, Jesus died and made us all righteous. It's the same way. Somebody says, well, that's unfair. I became a sinner through Adam. If you had given me a chance, I would have stayed right there naked with Eve, eating tree, eating fruit in the garden. 
Hello? How many think that's a pretty good idea? Ain't nothing wrong with being naked in the garden as long as you're Adam and Eve. Amen? Something wrong with it now. Why? Because we have shame. But Adam and Eve, naked in the garden, here's your life. Frolic in the trees. Be fruitful and multiply and eat yourself some oranges and mangoes. No! We want to do it another way. And then somebody said, well, I would have done it differently. Let me tell you, if every human being would have had their own chance, eventually we all would have sinned. That's why the Bible says we all became sinners through him, and then we justify his judgment upon us because we desire that sin. You know that you loved your sin. Sin is not always that evil, dark, nasty stuff. Sometimes sin is that good, juicy stuff, right? Things that we like to do, and you know that on the inside that you've desired it, and you've, if you've made your choice, and some of you even being Christians have sinned. Has anybody been a Christian and sinned? Then you've done the same thing Adam and Eve did. You were cleansed of your sin. You were told never to live in it. You were given the plain path of God's commandments, and you went back anyway. You see, so what it says is one man brought sin, and that brought death. One man, Jesus Christ, lived righteous and brought life. Amen? Praise the Lord. Come on, verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. He's going he's to now differentiate to the gift is of salvation. The trespass is of Adam the sin. Follow along. You're going to get it. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that come by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? Say, God's abundant provision of grace. And then now say this, and of the gift of righteousness. Come on, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So look at God saying, you want to make a trade? Here it is. Let's make a trade. You're born a sinner. You have condemnation on you. God's wrath is on you. You're considered an enemy of the Father. That's a fact. You may say, Pastor, I don't believe in gravity. I don't know if I believe in gravity. Jump off this. Boom, gravity happens whether you believe it or not. Somebody might say, well, Pastor, I don't think I'm a sinner. I don't think God's angry at me. Actually, I think I'm pretty nice and God doesn't consider me an enemy. That's a lie. And you're playing make-believe. It's no different to going to Epcot Center, dressing up in tights, putting on a little hat with a little flower, calling yourself Peter Pan. Okay? Because when you say, my God wouldn't do this and my God wouldn't do that's right, your God wouldn't do that because your God is make-believe. The God of the Bible, this God says, you are his enemy, you are a child of wrath, you are a sinner, you're born into condemnation, and you will perish eternally. That's a fact. But what the other fact is this, Jesus was righteous, Jesus died for you, Jesus took away all your sins as far as the east is from the west, put them in the sea of forgetfulness, and Jesus today is your life, Jesus is redemption, and you know what separates you from one to the other? is faith. It's not good works. It's not going to church. It's not feeding the poor. It's not reading your Bible. It's simply believing Jesus took my penalty. That's it. Justification by faith. Everybody say justification by faith. 
Amen. Now you guys are becoming great reformers. Amen. Consequently, those are the people who led the great reformation out of the Catholic Church. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. And you thought I repeated myself a lot. Paul's repeated it to you about five times in this passage do you all get the point amen that's what good pastors do they repeat themselves a whole bunch of times you're like paul you just said it he's like i know but you're not getting it i want you to understand it and still people didn't get it put the bible in latin made seven sacraments my friends we are justified by faith alone through jesus alone not his brother, his sister, his mother, or any of these other silly holidays that we have to keep. It's through faith in Jesus. Praise God. Verse 20, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what it simply says there is, when you don't have the commandments, you think you're okay. But when you have the commandments, you realize sin begins to increase. See, if I let my child run all over the place, she thinks she's fine. But the moment I say, you can't touch the TV, you can't do this, then you see the sin increase. And sometimes you'll see that when a child comes over to your house and you have a little bit different rules than the parent has, and that child's used to running all over the place, jumping off of coffee tables and stuff, and then when they come to your, maybe I'll just make it personal, they come to my house, and then I'm like, don't touch this. Don't touch that. Don't touch this. Don't touch this. You sit right there. Then it's like, you know, and it's like they have broke like 500 laws. But at the other house, they ain't breaking laws because there ain't nothing wrong with that. Do you get the point? Jesus says if you don't have the law, you don't know that you're sinning. But when you find out that you're sinning, you realize you're really, really a sinner. That's why when we talk to people, we say, oh, you think you're pretty good? Yeah, I'm a good person. I don't really need to go to church that much. I kind of got this thing down. I can spend the rest of my time having fun in life because me and God, we worked it out. You know, as a kid, I was baptized, confirmed, St. Mary Martha's Church of, you know, the, the holy whatever lake and sea of Spain, whatever, of Rome. I'm great. I'm, I'm there. And then you just say to them, hey, Let's take the good person test. And this is what you can say to them. Do you want to take the good person test? And they're like, yeah, I want to take the good person test. And then all you got to do is take all the laws out the Bible and start asking them how they're doing. Have you ever told a lie? Oh, yeah. Well, everybody tells like, well, it don't matter if everybody has. Have you told a lie? Yeah. Have you ever stolen something? Yeah, I've done that. And then that's just the Ten Commandments. And then they broke like all nine of them. And so you're kind of failing the good person test here. How about this one? Do you fast and pray? Do you tithe? Do you witness? Do you study? your? Well, these are a whole bunch of other commandments, too. How about Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Do you lust after women? Have you ever been angry with your neighbor? Have you had more than two sets of clothes and not given to the homeless? How many know that these commands can be quite burdensome? And then they find out they're not saved. Why? Because they thought they were good enough to work their way to heaven. And all the law does, all the commandments do, is they don't save you. The commandments show you how much a sinner you are needing to be saved. Only Jesus can save you. And it's not by works. It's by faith. Would you stand up with me in the house of God? Did you learn the lesson today? Justification by faith. Justify, never sinned. Why? Because of what Jesus did for me. Now, what's the result of that? Go with me to Ephesians 2 in closing. 
Ephesians, the same writer, Paul, he puts it really simple. He summarizes for these awesome guys here in Ephesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We'll just read the 10 verses quickly. You'll get it. As for you, starting in verse 1, you were dead in transgressions and sins. Okay, just remember what you learned all in Romans. He's just going to summarize it. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Chris, would you come, please? All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Everybody getting the point? Hey, you were in sins. You were led around by the devil. You were an object of wrath. Verse 4, hallelujah. How many are glad that God put a butt right there? He put his big old butt right in the way. He said, but it ain't over yet. I just had to bring that one out. Come on, you want to help me preach? But Jesus came. Come on, somebody say, but. Shout it out, say, but. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Will you pray? Yes. Why? Because God's going to make you pray. You can say, well, God's going to force me. No, He won't force you, but He'll make a desire in your heart to pray. You see, you are God's flower, and it's in His hand. He's baking a cake with you. You are God's wood, and He's making a craftsmanship chair out of you. He's crafting you, and He's going to make you that person. You don't make yourself. A cake does not make itself. A chair does not make itself. It needs a craftsman. It needs a baker. And the Bible is saying, yes, you'll pray. Yes, you'll witness. Yes, you'll be a good parent. You're going to do all these good things, but you know how you're going to do it? Because I'm going to make you that way. Because God makes us righteous, not of ourselves. I want to give you what's known as the Romans Road. If you've never heard it before, you can just jot it down on your notes. It's just a simple way to remember the, the salvation of God and how it works in the book of Romans. Romans 3.23 says, For we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8, what we just read, said God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10, 13 says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it goes on to say, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with man's heart, with man's heart he believes, resulting in righteousness. How many could say you believe today? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. Thank you for dying for us. Come on, I know we pray during the communion time, but can you just thank him right now for salvation, justification, reconciliation. Hallelujah. Glory to you, God, our Lord and Savior, who came to our rescue. 
Come on, Lilani, come up here and sing that with Chris right here. You came to our rescue. He came to our rescue. No other name by which we are saved. Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, that your salvation grows in the hearts of every person here. If you're not saved as you're praying right now, just say, Lord, forgive me. Save me. I confess you as the Lord of my life. God, I, I ask right now for the, the heart, God, the heart of, of, of just gratification, the thankfulness to come out in this place today. God, we don't need anything other than the cross. The cross says it all. Story finished. We win. Devil, you're defeated. Come on, look to the cross today, friends. It's your justification. It's your salvation. It's your reconciliation. I want to pray for those right now. You may be going through a struggle, and you're saying, Pastor, I don't know. I don't know. My faith is getting weak. My faith is is, is waning. It, it feels like it's getting on empty. I want you to listen to what we read before, just an attitude of prayer. It says, also rejoice in your suffering. Come on, soldier. you got to rejoice in what you're going through. Why? Because you know that's going to produce perseverance. Don't you give up. It's going to change your character. You may not push that rock, but God's going to have it change you. You're going to change in that situation. And it's going to bring you hope. And that hope will not disappoint you. God is coming to your rescue. And I'll tell you how you can know that right now. He's going to pour out His love on you right now by the Holy Spirit. So if you're going through that right now, that suffering, just raise up your hand and say, I receive love. Because it's coming through right now. The love of the Father, I release it in this place. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Let them know you love them today. Wrap your arms around every one of us that's suffering.